You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. So I said last week that we will finish up Daniel chapter 11, and then in a couple weeks I will I will finish up our time in in Daniel. I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, but we're going to finish up the last, like verses 36 through verses 45. I'm going to talk about that today. I'm going to preach on that today, unpack that today. Um, I believe most of those verses are referring to a future ruler that is to come. Um, and so, so I think it's there for our good. The reason why we have these verses is to help us do what Daniel chapter 11 verse 32 encourages us to do that those who know their God uh, will st- or shall stand up or stand firm and take action. What does that look like? I, I think it's just living your life for Jesus, li- living your life on mission, pointing people to the greatest need that they have, who is Jesus, the true King of kings and Lord of lords. But here's some questions that you may be wrestling with as you think about the Antichrist, like how will the world end? Like how's that going to happen? Or who is the Antichrist? Have you ever wondered, like who, who will the Antichrist be? You can go to a Christian bookstore and find books on who people, certain authors think that the Antichrist is. And when will Jesus come back again? How many of you remember Y2K? 2000? Yeah, yeah you remember that. Uh, all the computers are going to shut down and the world's going to come to a, a, a screeching halt. And what happened? Nothing happened, right? <laughs> Um, but there are all kinds of predictions about the end of the world surrounding Y2K. And then um, Howard Camping, who was an East Coast guy. Do you, do you, anybody hear of him before? Yeah, I, I'm still... And it was the same thing in the first service. There was like one or two people who heard of him. He was, a, he was flaky. Like he, he owned and ran a Christian radio station on the East Coast. I think he could... You, some places on the, in the West could pick up his radio station. He predicted that uh, Jesus would return on May 21st, 2011. Guess what happened? It didn't happen. And then he said, well, I must have gotten my facts uh, mixed up. He's coming in October. And guess what happened? It didn't happen. And you know what? Hundreds of his followers sold everything that they had to, uh, because they were convinced that Howard Camping... Um, knew something that not even Jesus knew. Like Jesus said, not even the Son of Man knows the time or the hour, right? And so Howard Camping and Jehovah Witnesses have made numerous predictions about the end of the world and, 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 and all that was coming. I read somewhere that they had made the Watchtower Society, which is that's the organization, the umbrella organization of the Jehovah Witnesses, um, made 22, per, 22 end date predictions you know, in their in their span of existence. I think if we just read the Bible, we would realize nobody will know the time or the date, right? We'll just know when it actually happens, that's when we'll know. And then some people have you know, predicted who the Antichrist is or will be. Uh, as early as uh, the Empire of Rome, there were, there were Christians who believed that Nero was the Antichrist. Uh, some thought Napoleon was the Antichrist because of his uh, rise to power, his remarkable rise to power and lack of interest in religion. Um, an all-time uh, powerful or contender of being the Antichrist is um, the Pope of all generations. Like since the Reformation, 
uh, in the you know, 1300s or whatever, even before the 1300s, people predicted or thought maybe the Pope is the Antichrist. And then uh, there have been uh, numerous presidents that have been, who were thought to be the Antichrist, like FDR, JFK, Nixon, Ronald Reagan, uh, Bill Clinton, uh, Barack Obama, uh, Donald Trump. I saw that somewhere. Um, and uh, you remember in 2011 when the guy stood in front of the White House and shot up the White House with whatever gun he was using. Uh, he believed that Barack Obama was the Antichrist, and he, his name, he went by the name of Oscar Romero, believed himself to be Christ. And so he thought it was his job to kill the Antichrist. And so that didn't go well for him, did it? No. And then there are uh, some even today are saying, well, maybe Bill Gates is the Antichrist. I don't think so. Um, and when we read passages like Daniel chapter 11, the point is not so that we can pinpoint exactly who it is. The point is he's coming. And uh, he's a bad dude. And, uh, and, and what ought we to do as we wait, watch, pray, engage the world around us, what ought we to do? We ought to uh, per, you know, pursue knowing God so that we can stand firm and take action. What does that mean? That's not storing cap, st storming Capitol buildings. It's not championing your, your favorite political party. It's representing the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We are citizens. If you're a Christian, you're, we are citizens of Jesus' kingdom, first and foremost. And so that's who we represent. Um, one of the weirdest doomsday stories that I read about was uh, concerning the prophet Hen of Leeds. Um, anybody hear of her? Good. There was one person that did. I'm like, oh, then you know what I'm going to say. Um, her claim to fame was that she was that, um, and what made her popular, and hundreds of Christians bought into her claims, <laughs> supposedly her claims, was the eggs that she laid. This is, this is her. Um, well, not officially her, but that's what she looked like. Um, here's the here's a weird thing. So, supposedly she would lay eggs, and on the egg was inscribed, "Christ is coming soon." People thought she was that that was a miraculous thing that was happening. What they didn't know was that the owner of the hen would write that on the egg and insert the egg in that poor hen again, and then she would lay the egg. Yes, horrible. So. Um, and, and Christians bought into that. I just think, you know, if you read your Bible, and you won't fall into the, that kind of trap. And, and so, but that was the weirdest one that I came across. I was looking for something funny. And then I have my shirt. I bought this shirt for today. And uh, if you can read it, I survived the great toilet paper crisis of 2020. I thought, thank you. Like one person. Um, I did survive. All right, there are two, really two things I want to just highlight that flow out of this passage. And one is that the Antichrist will exalt himself to be a god. Antiochus IV did that, but I believe, and the reason why I believe this, I believe that, the, that these verses going to uh, not just talk about Antiochus. In fact, I would say uh, the verses 36 through 38, you know, really you know, seem to identify Antiochus IV as this evil dude, but then it shifts gears. The passage shifts gears, and I believe, along with many other uh, uh, theologians and scholars, believe that, that it's describing a guy that, or a, a gal, a male or female, we don't know, who's coming yet in the future. And the reason why I believe this, and if you have a Bible, um, it would be good for you to open up to Daniel chapter 11 so you can track with me, 
If you have a digital device, use that. If you don't have a Bible, grab a Bible from underneath the seat. Around you, there's a Bible somewhere. Uh, and if you don't own a Bible, you can either take that home with you or see me afterwards. We have really nice Bibles. I would like to give you one so that you have one. Uh, so see me after the service. But anyway, um, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I just want to point you to this real quick, and then we'll just unpack chapter 11. Chapter 12, verse 1 says, At, the, at that time... What time? The time of chapter 11, what's being described in chapter 11, especially verses uh, 36 through 45. At that time shall arise Michael. Who's Michael? He's, the, he's, he's an angel. Um, Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble that's coming, uh, such as never had been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. What book? I believe that's the book of life, by the way. Um, uh, God's book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. That's why I believe these verses that we're going to look at today are describing a future king or ruler that's coming. And what we learn in the, in the first three verses, verses 36 through 39, is that the Antichrist will exalt himself as God. Now, Antiochus believed himself, Antiochus IV believed himself uh, to be like the embodiment of, uh, I think, Thor or whoever. Uh, no, not Thor, Zeus. The embodiment of Zeus and uh, worshipped, worshipped Zeus. But this Antichrist that is coming will exalt himself, we're told, above all other gods. Like he will put himself at the high, you know, in the, in the position of the creator of the universe, according to these verses. In verses 37 through 38, this is the description that we're given of, I believe, both Antiochus IV and this Antichrist that is coming. He shall not pay attention to any other god, for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the god of fortress instead of these, a god whom his fathers did not know he shall honor. Now, who's the god of fortress? I believe it's talking about military might, his own military might, his own power, his own ability. He's going to worship that. Um, and in verse 39 is where I believe the departure happens from Antiochus IV to this future ruler who's coming. He shall deal with the strongest fortress with the help of a foreign god, and that foreign god is this, the god of fortress, which I believe is his own power, his own ability, his own might. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. One commentator said this about, the, about this Antichrist that I believe is being described here. The Antichrist has no desire for God or humanity because he serves a different God in addition to himself, a God of fortress or the God of war. On this might makes right deity, one that even his evil forefathers did not know or worship, he will shower gold, silver, precious stones, and riches, meaning he will invest in his own um, power, he will honor the might and power that war can give him, and with the help of this foreign god, verse 39, the god even his fathers did not know, 
he will deal with the strongest fortress. Now, this is where I, I really agree with this commentary. It says, with power, he will crush power, and in the process, he will reward those who join his expanding coalition. He will greatly honor them, making them rulers over many and distributing land as a reward. This is a Nietzschean world come to full fruition. Like what Hitler wanted, this guy's going to be able to, to establish. Uh, the vision of a Hitler-like leader and his Nietzschean Nazism will arrive in all of its infamy and the world will not be able to stop it. That's who's being described here. Now, I, I don't want this to be like, oh man, this is really depressing. I came to be, to, to be encouraged. I, I, that's my goal. It's like, you'll leave here encouraged. I want you to be encouraged. But this guy is coming. This person is coming. He's real. We're war or she's real. We're warned of this person for a reason. It's in the Bible for a reason. The angel that brought this message to Daniel and was resisted by this demon in Persia was resisted for a reason. This is an important message, as is everything that's in our Bible. But it's here for a purpose. This, this person who's coming, and maybe he's here, he or she is here now, who knows? But this person that will, will, will come onto the world scene the, the, the attitude of this person will be the same attitude as Lucifer when Lucifer fell. I believe Isaiah chapter 14 describes the attitude of Lucifer when he rebelled against God in, in heaven. Now, the words will be on the screen. I'm going to read them for you. It says, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the, of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. I mean, does that sound familiar? Doesn't that sound like Genesis chapter 3 when Lucifer said, or the serpent said to Adam and Eve, hey, if you eat this fruit, you'll be what? Like God, knowing good and evil. And... Um, this person is yet in the future. He's described in the New Testament as the Antichrist. That's where we get the, the phrase Antichrist from. He's also described as the beast in Revelation chapter 11 through chapter 19. And he is described as the man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, which if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Um, it's just too long of a passage for me to... Uh, actually, I was kind of lazy. I didn't want to put the whole thing on the slides. But I want you to look at it in your Bible. I want you to see it, Okay. One person left. All right, good. All right, 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2. Let no one deceive you. This is just describing the Antichrist. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. And you know, I'm skipping a few verses, and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. Who's restraining him now? Uh, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is actually restraining the lawlessness in our world. Did you know that? Like things could be a lot worse than they are right now. There's something restraining the world from being as, as evil as it possibly can be. That something is a person, it's the Holy Spirit, according to 2 Thessalonians. And when, that, when the Holy Spirit 
is removed to, in terms of the restraining force of our world, things will go from bad to worse. And, and it, so it describes this and says, only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Like, when Jesus comes again, this is the good news, it's not going to be like a UFC cage match between Jesus and the Antichrist. It's not going to be like Braveheart, and Jesus is going to ride in with his, you know, his claymore sword and, and go at it. Like what we're told, and we get a description of this in Revelation chapter 19 also, Jesus will kill the Antichrist with the breath of his mouth. He will say, I don't know what he's going to say, he'll say something like, enough, and then boom, that's it, end of the story. That's what's being described in this passage. In verse 45 of Daniel chapter 11, he shall pitch his, uh, his tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain, that's Jerusalem, yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. That's coming. And it continues. Um, so uh, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. What is the truth? That is the gospel. Okay. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. There's coming a time where the Holy Spirit will kind of re remove his restraining force from the world. The Antichrist will be revealed and he will be accepted and embraced by the world. The Antichrist is not Donald Trump. It's not Barack Obama. It's, not, it's certainly not Joe Biden or President Biden. Um, it's not the, it's, this person will be somebody who will be respected by the world or most of the world. He will be charismatic. He will have the charisma uh, that Hitler had, but he will be able to accomplish what Hitler wanted to accomplish. He will deceive the world. He will fall right in line with the spirit of Antichrist, which I described you know, throughout this sermon series, like what the world is championing, like celebrating now, the, 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 mor the morals that the world is saying is right and true, the Antichrist will, will be like, yeah, that's right. Like, this is the truth. And the world will embrace him. He will be seen as wise. He will be seen as charitable. He will posture himself as a Messiah who has come to rescue the world. That person is coming. And, um, and we're told this for a reason. I don't, the, the Antichrist has not been revealed yet. Maybe he's in the world today. Maybe not yet. Maybe it's not in our lifetime. Maybe it is in our lifetime. Who knows? The point is not to build a bomb shelter or dig a hole in the, in the ground and stockpile cans of soup in light of who this, who's coming. The point is, the point is, is that we represent the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The point is, Jesus is coming. And when Jesus comes, he will destroy the Antichrist. The point is, is that in the end, we win because God wins. And it's not, because, it's not something that God has to labor to do. He's going to do it, and he will be glorified. And, and, and he will redeem his people. And he will, um, like we, we learn through the book of Revelation, that he will, he will um, reconcile like, all, the, all the wrong that has been done to his people. He, he will make right. Which leads me to the second point, and that is the Antichrist will be destroyed by the true God, like he, is, like, he has a shelf life. 
I, from what I read in the Bible, he's not going to reign and rule very long. Um, I don't know how long. Like some, some um, theologians and pastors believe that there will be a day of trouble that will last a period of seven years. I'm not sure. I used to say, ah, oh, seven years, and, then, and this Antichrist will reign for three and a half years. I'm not, I'm not certain anymore. I'm really not. I, I, I think it can go either way. But what I do know is he's a real person, and he's coming. And, um, and, and we learn from Daniel chapter 12 and from Revelation chapter 19, he's coming, he will reign for a period of time, his power will be short-lived, and then he will be defeated. And the one who will defeat him will be the king of kings and lord of lords. Like, like he shall come to his end, and none will help him. It will be, it will, it will be an end that will, will expose him for who he is. And then after that, the devil or Lucifer will be thrown into the lake of fire. That's all in the book of Revelation. Um, we're told that after the death of the Antichrist, the archangel Michael will appear. The people of God whom the Antichrist wanted to destroy will be delivered, and then a resurrection and judgment will be experienced by the people of God. That's in two weeks. I'm going to talk about that in two weeks. That's, that's my favorite subject. My favorite subject is heaven. I can't wait. My favorite subject is redemption, when God will make all things new. That's in a couple weeks. But, but for now, like this stuff that chapter 11 talks about will happen before that. And Jesus warned us, right? Like there, I, I don't know. We even there's a cult in in Cheyenne and in this region called the Mother of God cult, where people believe that this person, I believe he's living in, I think I think he's Korean and North or South Korea, I mean, who believes himself to be the incarnation of Christ. And people buy this stuff, like they believe it. And Jesus said, "Don't do that." Like in Matthew 24, the words will be on the screen. He said, "See that no one leads you astray." For many, not just some, but many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Like he tells us that right there in the Bible. Like one of the ways to avoid being deceived by people who claim to be Jesus, read your Bible. Like a, a lot of um, death could have been avoided in, in Jonestown if people read their Bible, right? There are people who come and who, who claim to be Jesus, and what they are is they are wolves in sheep's clothing. And so um, they were false teachers, and there's, we're told that they will also find their place in the lake of fire. But Jesus said, Look, don't, don't believe them. They'll lead many astray. And then he goes on to say in chapter 24, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of what? Ladies, <laughs> birth pains. What do birth pains mean? A baby is coming soon, right? And when those birth pains get closer together, those contractions, I'm not saying this because I experienced it. I only watched, right? I'd be very rich if I experienced this or not. I wouldn't be, anyway. So birth pains. What does it mean? The closer the pains come together means the sooner the baby's coming. Jesus said, look, there are going to be wars. There's going to be famines. There's going to be earthquakes. In another, in another scripture passage, there are going to be diseases or pandemics. And all of these are the beginning of the birth pains. What will happen is they will become more frequent and more frequent as his coming draws closer. And, uh, and we have not seen, I don't think, 
a moment of peace in this world since Genesis chapter 3, since the fall. And there have been more wars in the last 15 years than, than what preceded those years. There have been more famines than ever before. I mean, who thought that we would experience a, a global pandemic? I, I, that was not on my radar. I mean, regardless of what you think about COVID, it's a pandemic. Like, they're digging mass graves in Myanmar right now because of how many people are dying. Um, so Jesus said all these things are going to happen. And, uh, and all of that is going to precede his coming. All of that is going to lead up to the coming or the appearing of the Antichrist. And, um, and we don't need to you know, lose our brains over that. Like, we can anticipate that. We can watch. We can pray. We can engage the world with the greatest news in the universe, something that the world so desperately needs, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what changes hearts. That's what changes lives, right? We're, you're all here because, or most of you, if not all of you are here, because the gospel has had a profound impact, shaping impact on your life, right? And, uh, and you, can trace, you can think back to how Jesus changed your life. And then Jesus said there will be a time of trouble. And uh, he talked about what this time of trouble would be. In fact, Jesus predicted that the, what would happen in A.D. 70 when Titus um, would come and besiege Jerusalem and do all kinds of crazy things, which was also was a foreshadowing of what the Antichrist would do. Jesus said there would be a time of trouble, just like Daniel chapter 11 says there would be. But then he goes on to say in chapter 24, verse 29, Jesus that is, said this. He said, immediately after the tribulation, the words are on the screen, of those days the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will what? What is it? Mourn, right? And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect, that is us, from the four winds, from one end of, of heaven to the other. Like, that's coming. And when he does, he will make all that is wrong with this world right. He will, he'll balance the scales of justice. We will know Jesus not only as the King of kings and Lord of lords, but Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And, um, and that's why these words are in these, that's why the scripture passage or these verses are in our Bibles, to encourage us. Like, there are going to be more horrible things that are going to come. Like, if you think a pandemic is, is, is bad, I mean, there's, I don't, I don't want to be a killjoy here, but there's worse stuff coming. And not just globally, I, individually. I bet you, if, like, we did a poll in, the, in this room, some of you have been through some pretty horrific things in your life. Like you've dealt with cancer, you've dealt with other diseases, you've had loved ones on, you know, die unexpectedly, you've dealt with some pretty horrific things. These verses are for you too. Like evil and suffering have a shelf life. They have a shelf life. And no matter what this world brings you, even though it brings its worst to you, you know that, that, that there is one who holds you and will never let you go. That is Jesus. I mean, on Thursday, we were, I was driving to, uh, was on my way to my Kempo class, and uh, Jonathan was on his way to lunch, and, and so we left around the same time. Jonathan left just shortly before I left, 
And on Lincoln Way, I, there was a horrific accident with a motorcyclist who, his motorcycle was in pieces. Jonathan saw him just after it happened, and he was on the ground. It didn't look good. I don't even know, I don't know if he's alive or, or if he, die, he died. I know he is alive. Who said that? Oh, thank you. Uh, but he was, I think he was in critical condition. That's it? Oh, my gosh. Uh, well, no, then that's not it. That's bad. Um, but he's alive. He's alive. My friend Mike. My friend Mike's home. But, uh, and the doctors are, are blown away that, that, that he's healing the way that he's healing. But, but what he endured was pretty horrific. Like, what are you going to hold on to during those times? Like, what is it that's going to sustain you through those, through those moments or those seasons of, that, that are most difficult? Like, how, you know, how hard you're holding on to Jesus or how much you love Jesus? No. What's going to sustain you is remembering how much he loves you and that he is holding you, that he is sustaining you. Okay? I keep thinking of that hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, take my heart, bind and seal it. Um, to the God I love. So like, 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 like that's, that was written by a guy who, who walked away from the faith. I think he came back. But like, that's my heart. My heart is fickle. Like a, a lot of the songs we sang today I, is my prayer that, I, that I'm able to do that. The reality is that I, um, if not but for the grace of God, I would, I would walk away. And it's Jesus who holds me. It's Jesus who sustains me. And when the worst comes, whatever that looks like, it is Jesus that's going to keep me, period. That's why these verses are in our Bibles. Jesus is coming, and we know that because there's an empty tomb, and he promised that he's coming. And when he does, that will be great. I hope I don't have to experience the Antichrist. I really hope, I would rather just have a heart attack or something like Quick and painless. Just give me something quick and painless so I can see Jesus. I don't want to go through suffering. How many of you want to go through suffering? Anybody? Nobody does. Nobody likes suffering. Um, and, and that's why these verses are in the Bible for us, to encourage us that even when you feel like there is no end in sight, even when, when it feels like you are drowning in your suffering and, and your grief, there is, that, that there's a shelf life to that, which... You know, as I was thinking about these verses, I was thinking about a story that I think puts in context Daniel chapter 11. Like, like, what does it look like to be somebody who knows your God in a way that when the trials come, and they will, that you'll be able to stand firm and take action? What does that look like? It looks like, I, I, like one example, it looks like the church in, in North Korea. I don't know how much you know about the story behind, uh, behind uh, how the gospel entered into the Korean uh, peninsula before it was broken into two, two nations, but it's pretty impressive. Like, talk about, like, you read your Bible and you read about, like, in Acts chapter 2 and 3, you read about, like, Pentecost and, and how the Holy Spirit came upon people, and, like, something like that happened in Korea. The, some Catholic missionaries entered into Korea, I think, in the 16 or 1700s, and they had little success. I mean, they had some success. The Protestant missionaries started to enter into the Korean Peninsula um, you know, around the 1800s, 1880s. And, and I don't know uh, if you know this, but like where the capital of North Korea is today is, where, is the birthplace of the Korean church. Did you know that? 
um, there was a seminary that was built in the early 1900s to train new Christians up to, to be pastors in their churches and to be evangelists in their land and, and to know how to handle the Word of God. Like, that happened. In the early 1900s, there were, um, in 1903 through 1906, there were several, there were three revivals, I'm sure there may have been more, where scores of people came to faith in Christ. Um, and, and here's the really cool thing about this story, is that the, the missionaries that were involved in bringing the gospel to these people were Methodists and Presbyterians. Like, theologically, couldn't be further apart, right? And so, uh, on some points. But they, they championed the gospel together and brought the gospel to these people. In, um, in 1907... Uh, at, uh, on January 8th, 1907, there was a Bible conference that was hosted at the seminary in what is now North Korea, in the capital of North, what is now North Korea. And, and about 1,500 men showed up uh, to be a part of this Bible conference. Now, some of the backstory of this, I'm going to share this as a way of concluding, but some of the backstory uh, of this is that there was great animosity between the Koreans and, and, and with the Japanese. They hated the Japanese because of the ongoing feud between the Japanese and the, and the Koreans. And so these new Christians struggled with letting that go. I mean, that was racism. You know? And, and so, so they had this Bible conference, and um, William Blair preached a sermon that night, and they started to pray. And this is a description of somebody who witnessed that night. And I want to read it for you because I think it's pretty amazing. He said, what happened was indescribable. Not confusion, but a vast harmony of sound and spirit. I mean, people started praying not one at a time. They started praying all over the room, simultaneously, out loud. Uh, a mingling together of souls moved by an irresistible impulse of prayer. The prayer sounded to me like the falling of many waters, an ocean of prayer beating against God's throne. It was not many, but one, born of one spirit, lifted to one Father above, just as on the day of Pentecost. God is not always in the whirlwind, neither does he always speak in the still small voice. He came to us in, in that seminary that night, or in that building that night, with the sound of weeping, as the prayer continued, a spirit of heaviness and sorrow for sin came upon the audience. Over, one, over on one side, someone began to weep, and in a moment, the whole audience was weeping. Man after man would rise, confess his sins, break down and weep, and then throw himself to the floor and beat the floor with his fist in perfect, perfect agony of conviction. Uh, so uh, this went on. As the night went on, and then they said, you know, if you want to go home, you're free to go home now. And uh, a lot of the people, the men decided to stay. This went on um, until 2 o'clock a.m. with confessing and weeping and praying. I pray that happens in Cheyenne. I pray that we experience a revival like that. If you were to ask these Christians, if you were to tell them, in about 40 years... Your country will be divided into two countries, north and south. And where your seminary is right now, where this revival began right now, will become the most dangerous place for Christians to live. I don't know if they would believe it. Somebody was asked to uh, uh, preach that next morning 
it is said that people travel 200 feet on foot to listen to the Word of God preached and to pray with other believers. Um, after World War II officially ended and the Korean Peninsula was liberated from Japanese occupation, it was split in two. It was split into the communist-influenced section of Korea. So this was so Russia had this, or communist Russia, you know, could have their influence here, and Western allies could have their influence here. And uh, this South Korea is considered a Christian nation, by the way, more Christian than America, by the way, just so you know. And and this is where the seminary was, where it's now the capital of of uh, North Korea. Fifty thousand. There are there are a whole bunch of um, camps, all all scattered out throughout North Korea, and. It is said that about at least 50,000 Christians are in North Korea's prison camps. There is um, an, an estimated of 200,000 Christians who have gone missing since 1953. If caught, Christians face arrest, torture, or even public execution. Um, one person who experienced the camps said this of what's happening to Christians. Christians will experience in these camps, pretty much anybody in these camps will experience this, extrajudicial killing, extermination, enslavement, forced labor, forcible transfer of population, arbitrary imprisonment, torture, persecution, enforced disappearance, rape, and sexual violence, and other inhumane acts. And you would think that in North Korea the church would be shrinking. And you would think in a place like America the church would be growing. But it's reverse. The church in America is shrinking. And the church in North Korea is growing. It's growing in China. It's growing in Iran. It's growing in some of the most difficult places in the world. It is estimated that in North Korea that there are somewhere between 200 to 500,000 Christians. They bury the word of God under their floor panels in their homes in dirt so that I found out, because if it's found out that they are that they're worshiping uh, Jesus or that they're Christians, it is a capital offense. It's 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 a, you you you'll be killed. Um, I don't think if you asked the Korean church in the early 1900s if this would be their experience, 40 or so years later, that they would say, yeah, that will be our experience. But what these Christians are doing. They're, they're pursuing God. And in their pursuit of God, many of them are able to stand firm, not shaking their fist against the government, but following Jesus. Like they, a lot of these families, or these uh, Christian adults in North Korea, do not share the gospel with their little ones. They even keep it private to their, to their children because they know if their, children, if their child says something, their families will be split apart and, then, and, and maybe even killed. I mean, there's some horrible things that are happening around the world. And I think those Christians, when they read a passage like the one that we looked at today, I don't think they're thinking about an antichrist that's still coming in the future. I think they're thinking of, you know, their dictator. I think they're thinking of their present circumstances. I think they're thinking about there's a day that Jesus is going to come and he's going to make all this right. That's what I think. 
And that's why this passage is in our Bibles. Not so that we can identify the Antichrist and finger point who it is or guess who it is, but to live our lives well for the glory of God and for the good of the communities we find ourselves in. We're called to be light in our world. We're called to be salt in a, in a, in a decaying world. We represent the King of kings and Lord of lords. Our citizenship is, where, is, is with him, period. And here's, here's what I, I'm reminded of. When I read a passage like Daniel chapter 11, I'm reminded of what Jesus said. And I'll have the words on the screen. Let's read these together. You ready? I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen? And I don't know where all of you are at, you know, in terms of your, 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 your spiritual journey and your relationship with Jesus, but, but I, maybe what I said today, maybe it's confusing, maybe you've not heard it before, but what I do want you to hear is this, that your greatest need is not to know who the Antichrist is or when Jesus is going to come back. Your greatest need is to know Jesus. Your greatest need is to be reconciled to a God who you sinned against, that I sinned against, that we sinned against. Your greatest need is to have your sins forgiven. Your greatest need is to come to terms with the reality that Jesus Christ, out of the great love that God has for us, sent his son to live the perfect life that we could never live, that he died a death that you and I, all of us in this room, deserved. We deserve the wrath of God. Jesus endured that on the cross in our place. He was buried, and on the third day, he rose from the grave. Your greatest need is to come to terms with that truth, to place your faith and trust in, in, in him as, that, as your reality. And, um, and, and it is that gospel that has the power to transform your life and to transform this city, this state, this country, this, you know, in our world. Amen? That is our greatest need. And so, um, and for the rest of you, uh, including myself, how do you, how do you take action? How do you stand firm? By, by, by seeking to know the God of this book. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for what you're doing in it through our lives. Thank you for my brothers and sisters in this room. Thank you for Daniel chapter 11. Thank you for Daniel chapter 12. That one day, um, you're going to make all things new. And I can't wait for that day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.